Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Well, last night was another fun appearance on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. Um, and yes, my voice held out. I was uh, using the old broadcaster's trick of taking honey and mixing it with hot water and drinking that uh, every so often, and it really does work. As a matter of fact, it's also just a delicious beverage, so I would drink that just for the hell of it. No, I didn't even have to put any whiskey or any lemon or lime or anything like that. Just hot water and and some good honey will do it. So uh, I'm glad to have made it to not only the scheduled two hours, um, but George asked me if I would stay on for a third hour, so I'm always honored to do that. And uh, as usual, you know, I just can't say enough good things about George Norrie and Tom Danheiser and Lex Lonehood and Sean Lottasaur and all the people there who, who work together, you know, Gina and all the producers and Stephanie and, you know, Lisa and everybody else there who has just really been uh, wonderful all these years, giving me access to that vast audience. And uh, I started appearing on Coast to Coast AM a long time ago, back when Art Bell was the host, you know, the creator of the show. And so Art used to interview me, and then Art went into sort of semi-retirement, and so I would be interviewed sometimes by Art and sometimes by George, and then Art retired, and so uh, now it's just been George for, uh, for what, I don't know, maybe 15 years or something like that. Um so uh, I, I really do feel like that the, the folks at Coast to Coast AM are my second family in many ways. And so um, I, I'm always so grateful that they not only have me back on a regular basis to talk on the program, but also give me enormous latitude uh, to shift the conversation in any direction that I want. A lot of people have a tendency to get pigeonholed. They can only come on and talk about one subject. Not me. Um, you know, I can I can talk about anything. I've talked about it all. You know, ghosts, UFOs, aliens, angels, demons, ESP, psychic phenomena, cryptids, interdimensional warps. I mean, new technologies, weird experiments, manifestations. I mean, you just never know what you're going to get. When I go on the show, and um, I love that they accept that, and it seems to work for the audience because I get wonderful feedback when I go on that. So I definitely want to thank everybody associated with Coast to Coast AM and all the people who stay up late to listen. Um, So last night, of course, I was talking primarily about these paranormal phenomena that occurred before, during, and after Hurricane Maria here in Puerto Rico, harbinger-type activity. And the discussion eventually got really weird because, you know, once we made it through that, we, we started talking some about the conspiracies that exist regarding weather manipulation in general because I have met a number of people who do believe that the weather is being weaponized has been for a long time and in a worst case scenario it's a sinister thing where the weather is being literally manipulated for destructive purposes or selfish purposes Um, but a best case scenario would be well we just have some scientists out there who are experimenting with things and um, 
they're dabbling with powers beyond their understanding, and they just kind of screw things up, and, you know, accidentally you have problems that they didn't intend. Um, But one thing that's really interesting about working in the media, especially long-form talk radio, where you can really get uh, deeper into these detailed discussions, is... If you're, if you're a researcher, you learn a lot more about the topics that you're researching from your audience. So I can tell you as a guy who's been a researcher for now most of my life and have, have published many books that you might spend 10, 15 years or whatever working on a single topic and, and you've just heard the same facts over and over and over again and you, you reach the point where you say, you know what? I am now the expert on this. I know all there is to know about this subject. And then suddenly, you know, you make it known that you're going to go on some big talk radio show like Coast, and um, somebody will pop up even before you go on or certainly call in while you're on the air and say, well, you you do know this, don't you? (laughs) And there's always like some other little tidbit of knowledge out there that somebody knows that is obscure, that is nuanced, and you would never find that, you would never get connected with that person if it weren't for this forum that is provided through the medium. And so uh, it, it is truly a valuable resource to be able to go on shows and talk about this sort of thing. And and, and I, this happened to me yesterday. Um I was contacted before I went on the show earlier in the day by a Facebook friend named Sean. And I won't use his last name without his permission, but uh, he lives in Europe. And uh, he was delighted that I was going to be talking about this topic. And he said, um, well, I'm sure you're going to bring up what they've been doing with the next rad, right? And I wasn't sure what he was talking about. So let me pause for a second and explain. NextRed is um, sort of an abbreviation for Next Generation Radar. NextRed is a network of 159 high-resolution Doppler weather radars that are operated by the National Weather Service, distributed all around north america for the most part maybe i'm sure it might be in some other little areas as well but it's pretty much around north america which includes the caribbean and it is supposed to deliver you know incredible uh, high resolution images of different types of of weather conditions and there was a nexrad station in this little town in puerto rico called calle however when Hurricane Maria came in, it was so powerful that it destroyed that radar station. And so we don't have a lot of good weather data about what happened with Maria when it when it hit this spot. And and that still has not been replaced. So even, you know, five months later, uh, we still don't have a lot of good detailed weather maps and stuff like we used to have of Puerto Rico until this is repaired or or replaced so i knew that the weather radar was knocked out here 
uh, which is why I think technically, officially, they say that when Maria hit Puerto Rico, by that time, it had degraded from a Category 5 to a Category 4. But actually, I've talked to people who had their own little independent weather stations all around the island who said, no, 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 when this thing hit, it was definitely a Cat 5, you know, that its winds were in some cases measured at 200 miles per hour. So I have no doubt that it was a Cat 5 at various points as it was going through Puerto Rico. So anyway, um, so I said to Sean, I said, well, I know that the, the weather radar was um, was wiped out, but is there anything else that I, I need to know? And uh, he said, yeah, he goes, did the hurricane pass right over the next rad station? And I wasn't uh, sure about that. I thought it had, but I went back and I looked. And yeah, basically, um, sure enough, the eye of the hurricane more or less came right by that weather radar uh, station, which is why obviously it tore it all to hell. Um so uh, I said, yeah, it, it did. And he said, well, there is a pattern of this that goes back for years. Uh, places all over the United States that have terrible you know, hurricane uh, problems, uh, Louisiana, even when the big one Sandy hit up there in New Jersey. He said, you go back and you look, and these storms, they just so happen to go directly over top of the next rad station. And I said, okay, so what what do we conclude from this? And he said that these so-called radar systems that are there to detect weather are actually serving some other purposes. They're sending out signals that are also guiding these storms. And now, let, let me just pause for a minute to say, okay, we will get back to why, and this gets, again, potentially sinister, why that some of these storms might be guided. But first off, let me explain a little bit more about the deeper technology behind what, what he and apparently many other people like him are suggesting. Uh, this really has its basis in the HARP project, and I'm sure you've heard of, of HARP by now. Uh, it was established in 1993. HARP is an acronym. It stands for the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. Everybody loves their um, their uh, acronyms, and, and so uh, this is based out of Alaska. And the HARP project is a, a research project that is based on some type of manipulation or, or influence of the Earth's ionosphere. Because despite how it may look out your back window, uh, the Earth is actually a, a very uh, dramatic, moving, dynamic electrical machine that is constantly, it's roaring, it's shifting, there's lava blasting everywhere, there are thousands of lightning bolts striking somewhere every second. I mean, the Earth is a very tumultuous system. And 
when you, of course, go right outside of the, the surface of the Earth and you start getting into the surrounding layers of the atmosphere, um, you eventually have this, of course, magnetic field around Earth that we call the magnetosphere, and that is what makes it possible for us to live here because that magnetic field around Earth, it shields us from a lot of the dangerous radiation that is um, is shooting all throughout the cosmos. But on sort of the underside of this magnetic field called the magnetosphere, you have this area called the ionosphere. And the ionosphere is actually pretty large. Uh, it ranges from um, an altitude. It starts around 37 miles above Earth and goes all the way up to 620 miles above Earth. So it's a wide range of electrically charged particles. And we know that electricity and magnetism kind of go hand in hand, so it shouldn't be surprising that you'd have a magnetic layer which butts up against this close, closer electrical layer. And the ionosphere has always been uh, fascinating because... Um, you can take radio waves and bounce them off of the ionosphere and reflect them to different specific points around planet Earth. Um, in fact, you need to know a lot about that before you can work in broadcasting. Uh, the, the traditional frequencies that we use for communication are within a range that deflects off that ionosphere to be redirected around the planet so what that means is like you may have heard that during the daytime you can't pick up a lot of radio stations that are far away but at nighttime you can and that's because at nighttime the magnetosphere expands that lifts the ionosphere and so these radio waves are able to reflect and deflect and bounce off at a uh, a higher angle and 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 go uh, farther. So, people who are interested in communications have always been interested in the ionosphere. And and of course, if you project transmissions that are of of another certain type of frequency and wattage, you can actually break through the ionosphere and send signals into outer space. And that's what we did, for example, with the Arecibo project. Uh, a few years ago when we were sending signals into space and asking little green men to show up and say hi. Um, so anyway, uh, there has always been interest in learning more about how to use the ionosphere for communication, whether it's here on the surface of the Earth or even more complex, going under the oceans and trying to communicate with submarines. That's always been a big uh, challenge. But Here's where things become, again, a bit more possibly sinister. Um, by taking transmissions and directing them in a very focused way to very specific parts of the ionosphere, you can build up so much energy in one spot that you can start changing what's happening at various spots on Earth. So at very least you can heat up certain areas 
And by heating them up, you're going to change the weather because that is, you know, a huge component of weather on Earth is just the temperature. It's all about warm air and cold air and the pressure that comes along with those fronts. So if you can take a large area like a part of the ocean or the air masses over a part of a continent and you can heat them up, well, then you really can control the weather to a certain extent. I'm sure that it's not an exact science, but uh, you can certainly influence it. Um, but you could even go further than that, and you can imagine focusing so much energy on a little tiny spot of the ionosphere that uh, it builds up and discharges almost like a gigantic lightning bolt, which is probably what like Tesla's death ray was. I mean, imagine a lightning bolt that's big enough to vaporize an entire city. That's the kind of thing that you could plausibly do by transmitting these types of, of waves uh, in a very focused manner onto the ionosphere. And so the HARP project... Um, they they say uh, officially that it's it was produced by the U.S. government. I think it was like the the Navy and the University of Alaska and DARPA and you know a handful of these organizations. They are all working on it, and they say it was primarily for communications. But there's no way you can work on manipulating the ionosphere by transmitting that kind of energy without also at very least considering that you are going to change these other elements whether you intend to or not you are going to create temperature changes on earth and you are going to potentially create death rays so it should not be that surprising i i suppose that over the years harp has expanded and it has these outposts that are distributed around um, various parts of the United States. And one of them is, yes, here in Puerto Rico. Um, it is, they, they call these things ionospheric heaters. And the one that's operating here now is operating at Arecibo, where we have the gigantic radio satellite dish. And you might think that that dish is just sitting there passively collecting subtle signals from space, well, that's not all it does. It also is being activated to transmit. Uh, in fact, here is an article I found from the National Association for Amateur Radio, and they're talking about one of the scientists um, named Brakehall who has been working with Penn State's Electrical Engineering Department on setting up the HARP outpost at Arecibo. And this sounds a little technical, but I'll read it anyway. Uh, it says, quote, there are three cross dipoles for 5.1 millihertz and another three for 8.175 millihertz. These form an array that will beam energy up to a net mesh reflector that will hang down from three big towers. The screen will then reflect energy back down to the 1,000 foot dish and beam an effective radiated power of hundreds of megawatts up to the ionosphere to modify it, end quote. So they say that um, when this dish is sending all this energy up, sometimes into spots of the ionosphere that are just inches in diameter, that they're maybe sending up a minimum of 600,000 watts. That's 
that's so huge that you know like a, a big radio station back in the day that would reach all the way up and down like the west coast was like a hundred and fifty thousand you know watt station so here we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of watts in some cases maybe even over a million we don't know and they are beaming this stuff up to these particular areas so if in fact going back to what say sean is suggesting um these nexrad satellite stations are sort of working in tandem with harp then that means that just as the harp stations are not simply passive just collecting information that's coming in um that that you know they're also being activated then it would almost be like these next rads could be little miniature harp outposts and if that's the case and this is causing these hurricanes which may even be naturally spawned to then very quickly work their way into these artificial channels that are created by human technology then you can say well this is happening for one of two reasons either number one this is a a troubling side effect of this technology that we need to deal with in other words yeah it's great to have all of the uh, radar systems out there that show us the type of weather that's coming in but the bad side is uh it's also attracting and directing a lot of the really bad weather that builds up from time to time. Um, That's one possibility. Another one is that the people who are in charge of these technologies, they know exactly what they're doing, and they know that they can literally manipulate the weather to a certain extent, and that they do it as the most powerful type of weapon really known to man. I would say even more powerful than atomic bombs and things like that because it's it's much sneakier isn't it i mean like if somebody drops an atomic bomb everybody knows about it and there's an opportunity for everybody else to maybe do something about that but this weather stuff is so subversive i mean if you keep that a secret you know who's going to prove that you're controlling the weather you'd be like oh well it's 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 climate change or you know uh, god's in a bad mood today or you know whatever and we just kind of throw up our hands and say well shit happens so this might be the most sinister thing of all. So we ask ourselves, well, why, if this were the case, why would anybody want to take one of these big storms and direct it toward Puerto Rico? Now, granted, Puerto Rico has been hit by hurricanes over and over throughout the years. There, there's nothing new there. What is new, however, is that this is the biggest one that's ever hit Puerto Rico in all of recorded history. And it just so happened to hit Puerto Rico right when Puerto Rico was declaring bankruptcy. So everybody has known that Puerto Rico is a money pit that keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper in debt, and nobody had a solution. And a lot of these powers that be on Wall Street and elsewhere were losing their ass on this and realizing we're never going to make any money back because there's no way that these people in Puerto Rico are going to be able to pay these debts. So the only way to possibly uh, rectify that would be to have a major, major hurricane that just absolutely directly goes straight through this island and tears it to pieces. So now we get FEMA 
and all of these other organizations involved that are contributing billions and billions of taxpayer dollars and um, and then it becomes very uh, cloudy in many cases how all that money gets distributed here because the accounting is so ambiguous here in Puerto Rico. So if you wanted to look at it from a really strict conspiratorial viewpoint, you could say uh, they needed to direct a big hurricane here right now at this time in order to um, to get that extra funding in here that would at least give some solace to those uh, industries that had money invested here that they were losing. That's one conspiracy. Another is that, well, and this gets even weirder, if you, if you believe that the military here uh, is doing still a lot of experimentation that may even be in connection with aliens or beings from elsewhere that uh, occasionally, you know, they just need to go in and update their underground bases and their underground infrastructure. And uh, it's very difficult to do that these days with everybody running around with uh, cell phones and satellite imagery. You know, you can't just have a bunch of military people running around reconstructing the island without an explanation and so you need something like this that will uh, create so much chaos that you could come in you could update and rearrange a lot of these sort of subterranean bases and secret areas like that and um and make a case for the fact that oh well this is just part of the, the hurricane fema stuff you know don't worry about it go have a pina colada you know we nothing to see here folks um, so, so these are the kinds of issues that we have to, to think about when we start um, speculating on, on what may be happening here in, in Puerto Rico and in other places when these giant hurricanes come through. And it, it, it really gives us um, time to pause and, and think more about the idea that we might actually have some individuals in key positions out there who have the potential to manipulate weather for um, whatever selfish purposes may exist. And I guarantee you that if you really got to the bottom of that mystery and you found it was true, then um, you'd be dead pretty fast. I think a tornado would probably hit your house the next day, so it's not the kind of thing that's easy to investigate. So anyway, food for thought, you can mull on that, you can go and do your own research, you can look more deeply into that yourself, Um, but that's the kind of thing that that came up last night when we got even deeper into our discussion, and and I will continue to keep you updated on this, and I do want to look more deeply into those patterns that Sean was talking about related to these NEXRAD stations and, and the whole HARP system in general. So that said, um, got some stuff to do. I'm about to uh, wind down this podcast. I will tell you, however, that last year, you know, I create experimental products from time to time, and I create products that um, uh, some would consider mystical, magical, metaphysical, whatever. And I and I go out and I, so I experiment with them in the lab, I experiment with them in the field. And one of the things I like to play with is, uh, is wands, magic wands. And I created a wand last year that is my most popular wand ever. It's called the Forces of Nature Wand. 
And the idea for this wand came to me when I was playing with some superpower neodymium magnets. These are magnets that are so strong, if you put one in each hand, you cannot force your hands together if the like sides are facing. So in other words, if you have two north sides or two south sides facing, you can't push them together. And you got to be really, really careful because if you just release them and then they snap together in the air, they snap together with such force, they'll just destroy each other. And I was thinking, wow, there's such enormous potential energy between these magnets. What if I did force these together when they don't want to be together? What kind of energy is available there, and how can I tap into that energy and turn it into some type of a wand? So I I designed this wand, and it's got two of these neodymium magnets that are forced together at the bottom. There is a third neodymium magnet at the top, which is directing whatever that force is upward, where it goes through a coil, and then finally it passes through a genuine quartz crystal. And when I put this thing together, um, I was able to produce the most powerful magical effects I've ever been able to create with a wand. I made one batch of these things. It sold out overnight, basically. And uh, I have continued to get people begging me to make another batch. So uh, I'm making one more batch of these. I've already started. Uh, I'm only going to make them while I'm here in Puerto Rico, but if you would like one last opportunity to get your hands on a Forces of Nature wand, go to my website, joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P. Go to joshuapwarren.com. Click the link to the Curiosity Shop, and you'll see all kinds of goodies there, and if you scroll down, you'll find the Forces of Nature wand, and you can watch the video demonstration, learn all about it, Uh, This is a product that will be disappearing very soon, so if you're like me and you like to experiment with these things, this is one more opportunity for you to get your hands on the Forces of Nature wand, which is made by me in my workshop, my invention. You will not find this anywhere else in the world, I guarantee you that, and it comes with a set of instructions that I personally sign so that you'll know it's authentic. So again, go to joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P, joshuapwarren.com. When you're there, you'll find a link also on the top of the homepage to this podcast. This podcast is called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short, it's always free, and I attempt to record one of these for you on a daily basis. So if you click that link, you can listen to many of these that have been recorded already, going all the way back to October 1st, and then uh, you'll see options to subscribe, or you can just follow me on Twitter, and I do my best to tweet when a new one is posted. So I hope you will visit me at joshuapwarren.com, and obviously... You know, since I went on coast last night, tickets to my big event in Vegas have just been selling like crazy. I'm only going to sell 100. It'll be sold out very soon. So if you're interested in doing that, you'll find a link there as well at joshuapwarren.com, top of the homepage, where you can learn more about the event and how you can get a ticket to come hang out with me for three days in Vegas this May. So that's it for now. I'll have some more good stuff for you soon. Uh, Thank you for your, your interest. Thank you for your support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.